1: think that Nineveh deserved the Lord's salvation. He didn't want them to be saved. He was deciding who should and who should not receive salvation. Again, we also sometimes keep the gospel message from people. We also sometimes see someone, we don't like their looks, we don't like their apparel, we don't like their appearance, and we think, I'm not sharing the gospel with that guy. So we decide who gets to hear the gospel and who does not get to hear the gospel.
0: As Christians, there are times when we don't like the person we're dealing with. As a result, we are hesitant to share the gospel with them. Is this, however, what God desires? Pastor Dave discusses in today's message how God wants you to share the gospel without biases. God loves each and every soul. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 10 as he begins his message. Not so, Lord.
1: Acts chapter 10, verses 9 through 16. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up to the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven open and an object like a great sheet bound at four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creepy things, and birds of the air. A voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And the voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. I want to begin this morning with a look at the story of Jonah. A look at the story of Jonah. There's this man named Jonah, and one day the Lord spoke to him. The Lord said, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for the wickedness has come up before me. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, and God spoke to Jonah in his own unique and powerful way, and he basically told Jonah two things. Number one, he said, Go to Nineveh. Number two, he said, cry out against it. What that means is to rebuke it of their sin and call them to repentance. That's what Jonah's assignment was by God. You know the story. Jonah didn't do as God commanded. It was as if Jonah was saying in his heart, Not so, Lord, the people of Nineveh do not deserve your mercy, do not deserve your grace. Instead of doing what the Lord commanded, he chose to flee. He chose to hide from the Lord. He chose to go to sleep in the bottom of a boat. Why didn't Jonah want to go to Nineveh and do what the Lord had called him to do? Did you ever think about that? What was Jonah's reasoning for not going to do what the Lord called him to do? Well, for one thing, it may have been a very difficult job for Jonah to do that, simply because if you read from the prophet Nahum, in Nahum 3, verses 1 to 4, we're told just how wicked and how vile and how bad Nineveh was. Nineveh was a very, very corrupt and and bad city, very, very unmoral. Jonah had every reason to expect that at the very best he would be mocked and treated as a fool. But there was also that possibility that he could be attacked and he could be killed for what the Lord had wanted him to do. So he might have been somewhat fearful. Sometimes we're fearful when we want to share the gospel message. Sometimes a fear comes over us when we want to share the gospel message and our mind thinks, well, what are they going to think of me? What if they say no? Well, what, if I, what if I preach the word of God into their hearts and they say no? How, how much of a fool will I look like? And our flesh says, well, we don't want to do that. And we don't want to be mocked. We don't want to be put down. We don't want to be scorned for our belief. And that fear dwells up into us and we choose not to share the gospel. It happens to all of us. I don't care who you are. It happens to me. It happens to all of us. There's a fear because we're fearing man and what man can do to us. Tell the Lord you'll be right there. But we later learn the reason as to why he chose not to do that. We later learn why he chose not to do that. It says that he didn't think that Nineveh deserved the Lord's salvation. He didn't want them to be saved. He was deciding who should and who should not receive salvation. Again, we also sometimes keep the gospel message from people. We also sometimes see someone, we don't like their looks, we don't like their apparel, we don't like their appearance, and we think, I'm not sharing the gospel with that guy. So we decide who gets to hear the gospel and who does not get to hear the gospel. So instead of going to Nineveh, he went to Joppa. And at Joppa, he found a ship going to Tarshish, and he sailed off in the exact opposite direction of where the Lord had told him to go. He decided to run and hide from the Lord. He chose not to do the Lord's will. Not so, Lord. So Jonah boards a ship and sails away. You know the story. You know what happens. The ship runs into a giant tempest. It's thrown to and fro. Jonah is asleep in the hold at the bottom of the ship. The men awaken him and want to pray. And Jonah says, no. Then they cast Lot to see who's the problem on the ship as to why it's going. And the Lot falls on Jonah. Jonah says, throw me overboard. They say, okay. They throw him overboard. They throw him overboard, and as soon as he hits the water, it calms down. There's no more danger. The ship's not in peril anymore. You know what happens then? Instead of drowning, Jonah has a visitor. It's a giant fish. Tradition says it's a whale. And the whale swallows him up, and he gets to spend three nights and three days in the belly of the whale. What does he do the entire time he's there? Crying out to the Lord for deliverance. He's crying out to the Lord. Can you imagine how nasty it was in there? But the Lord hears his cry. The Lord delivers Jonah and he has the whale vomit Jonah out onto a beach which happens to be very close to Nineveh. Surprising. The Lord again renews his call to Jonah. He gives him the exact same command. At this time, full of whale slime, Jonah decides to obey the Lord. He goes to Nineveh. He preaches repentance and guess what? The entire city repents. The entire city turns to the Lord. Now, Before we condemn Jonah, before we condemn Jonah for saying, not so, Lord, we need to compare our hearts to that heart that Jonah was having at that time. We need to look into our own lives before we start pointing fingers at, oh, I would never do that. Be very, very careful. Be very, very careful. Before we condemn Jonah for running away from God and sleeping and hiding while there was trouble all around him, we need to examine our actions and to see if we may just be guilty of the same things. You know, it's easy to discuss Jonah's reasons for not doing what God told him to do, but what is our reason? What's our reason for not doing what God has called us to do? If you remember, God has called us and commanded us and commanded every Christian to go forth and preach the gospel to all the nations. He said that in Matthew 28. It's called the Great Commission. We've studied it here. And with Jonah's example before us, we have even less of a reason than Jonah for disobedience. But like Jonah was asleep and hiding from God, so are some of us, and so are we at times. We seem to be sleeping when God calls, hiding in fear of what he might ask us to do. Jonah is a lot like some of us sleeping Christians. Let's look at some of the examples that I've come up with. Jonah slept in a place where he hoped no one would see him or disturb him. Sleeping Christians like to hide out among church and church people. They blend in. They hide. Sleeping Christians hide. Jonah slept in a place where he could not help with the work that needed to be done. Sleeping Christians stay away from the work of the Lord, the work that the Lord is calling them to accomplish. Jonah slept while there was a prayer meeting going on on deck. Sleeping Christians don't like prayer meetings. Jonah slept and had no idea of the problems around him. Sleeping Christians don't really know what's going on around them. They're oblivious to what's happening. They're not watchful. They don't have discernment. They're too wrapped up in their own little world. Jonah slept. When he was in great danger, sleeping Christians are in huge and terrible danger, and they don't know it, and they're fast asleep. Jonah slept while the heathen needed him, and sleeping Christians snooze while the world needs their message and the testimony of Christ. Jonah said in his heart, not so, Lord. Are you saying in your heart today, not so, Lord? Is the Lord asking you to do something? Is the Lord telling you to do something, and you're saying, not so? Are you sleeping and hiding from him, from his call in your lives? As we look at today's scriptures, it's interesting that it was the city of Joppa that Jonah ran to, to catch this ship, to escape from going to the Gentiles. Our text today takes us to that very city, Joppa. And who's there? Peter. Peter is there in Joppa, where the Lord is going to tell them to go to the Gentiles. And Peter's answer at first might surprise you, but it's very similar to, to what Jonah said, as we're going to see. Something new was on the horizon. The Lord was going to ask Peter to do something that was unheard of in his culture. He was going to ask Peter to share something with the Gentiles that never had been before shared with them. The door of the gospel message was about to be opened to the Gentiles, and God is going to deal with Peter now on a rooftop in Joppa. And God begins to deal with them. In verse 9 we read, The next day, as they journeyed on their way and went near the city, Peter went up to the housetop to pray. It was about the sixth hour. So basically it's noon, about the sixth hour. It's noon. And he goes up to pray. They're making food, and he goes up there. It says, as they went on their journey, remember that last week Cornelius, being told by the angel, sent men to Joppa to find Peter and bring him back to Caesarea. We read in chapter 9, verse 43, at the end of the chapter, that Peter was staying at the house of Simon the Tanner in Joppa. Peter is staying at the house of Simon, who is a Tanner, which in itself is an extremely interesting situation. Of all the places that Peter would choose to stay, he stayed with a Tanner. Walls are starting to tumble. The Lord is starting to break down walls in the lives of people like Peter. He's starting to break down walls of prejudice in the lives of the apostles. Walls that have existed for centuries. The Jews had built up many walls. They've built up these naturalistic walls, especially against the Gentiles. The Jews would never really have any dealings at all with the Gentiles, let alone in close contact. They wouldn't eat with the Gentiles. They would not invite a Gentile into their home, nor would they go into the home of a Gentile. For the Gentiles were considered unclean. They were outcast. And to touch a Gentile, if you touched a Gentile, you made unclean. And you had to go through this ritual of cleansing before you could go back to the temple. You had to cleanse yourself before you could go back and worship God. All because you touched a Gentile. Now the Pharisees were so particular that if they walked down the street, they would tightly gather their robes around them so the robe wouldn't even hit a Gentile. They wouldn't let their robe swish and hit a Gentile. They carried around them because they didn't want to be unclean. If by some chance their robe hit a Gentile, they went home and they burned the robe. They burnt the robe and they had to go through this great big ritual of cleansing. That's how much the Gentiles were despised. In fact, the Talmud or Mishnah, one of the two, says the only thing that the Gentiles were good for were to stoke the fires of hell, according to the Jewish religion. It's the only thing that Gentiles were, th- were good for, except those that would come to Judaism. There were Gentiles who converted and went to Judaism. So we have this Gentiles, how this feeling about the Gentiles, but you take a tanner, a tanner is someone who is not only outclassed, but he's most unclean. What does a tanner do? Skins animals. He deals with blood. This is really bad. A tanner would be so considered constantly unclean because of the blood he dealt with. Because you're not supposed to touch a dead animal or a dead body. If you do, you're unclean. A tanner was totally unclean. In fact, the Mishnah gives a wife of a tanner reason for divorce because he's a tanner. And he's constantly unclean. The very fact that Peter is in the house of Simon the tanner indicates that the walls have already started to fall down. They've already started to come down somewhat, at least in Peter's heart. Paul's going to tell the Ephesian church in chapter 4 that Jesus Christ has come to break down the middle wall partition. He's come to break that down that wall between Jews and Gentiles. He's come to make them one, one in Jesus Christ. We know that he said, Paul writes that Christ is neither Jew nor Greek. He's neither barbarian or syncothe. He's neither bond or free, male or female. But in Christ is all, and in him we are all one. Christ has broken down these racial barriers between men. As we said before at this forum, there's no room for prejudice in the house of God. There's no room for racism in the house of God. Another thing worth mentioning here is that why did the angel send for Peter? Why did the angel say, go for Peter? We read in Acts 8, verse 40, that the evangelist Philip himself was where? In Caesarea. Caesarea in the exact place where Peter was going to go, the exact place for the, where, the, where the Lord had called him. Well, I believe there's two reasons. First of all, the Lord told Cornelius to call for Peter. When the Lord tells you something, you do it unless, of course, you say not so. So this was the Lord's will that Peter do it. But secondly, there's an interesting comment in there. Could this be the case? Let me throw this out there for you. In Matthew 16, verse 19, Jesus says to Peter, and I will give you the keys to the kingdom. I will give you the keys to the kingdom, Peter, of of heaven, the kings of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth, you will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Jesus gave Peter the keys to the kingdom. Now follow me on this. Didn't we see Peter unlock the kingdom to the Jews in, in, in Acts 2 at the days of Pentecost? Wasn't it Peter that went down to Samaria and locked the kingdom for the Samaritans in uh, chapter 8? And now we see Peter is getting ready to unlock the gospel message to the Gentiles. Could this be a reason why Peter was selected? You reconcile that. As we continue our study, it says in Acts 10, verse 10 through 13, Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven open, and an object like a giant sheet bound at four corners descending on him and let down to earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creepy things, birds of the air. And a voice came to him, rise, kill Peter, and eat. Notice what Peter had been doing before he received this vision. He'd been praying. He'd been sitting before the Lord, praying. He'd been communing with the Lord as he probably did on a regular basis. What a great example we have of what we should be doing on a regular basis. Daily time spent with the Lord should be on everyone's schedule. If it's not on your schedule, you should clear something and put that on your schedule. Spending time with the Lord is extremely important if you're a Christian. Extremely important. Peter was on the rooftop. He was away from everybody. He was in solitude. He was in prayer. He was communing with the Lord. He was seeking what the Lord might want because that's what prayer is all about. When you go to the Lord, sure, you bring petitions, but what you're trying to do is you're trying to line up your will and God's will. You're trying to make them one. Lord, this is what I want to do. But what do you want to do? It's your will I want. Our example, Jesus Christ in the garden. Father, can you take this cup from me? Isn't there another way? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will. That's what Peter's doing. He sat before Lord with a quiet heart. He opened up his heart to the Lord to talk to him. You know, so many times we seek advice from others before we pray. We seek the help of others, and then we neglect to take everything to the Lord first. When we take the things to the Lord first, then he's able to confirm things in his word, and sometimes he even uses other people to confirm those things that he's speaking to us with. Peter is alone with the Lord, seeking him. This is a good place to be. This is really a good place to be, a long time with the Lord. There is nothing like it. Peter receives this vision. A sheet, or in some translations it says a sail, was let down from heaven. It's bound in the four corners, and it contains all sorts of animals. All sorts of animals are on there. You have four-footed things, creepy things, birds of all sorts, wild beasts. This is a strange vision for Peter, and it really must have flipped him out because of his answer when he hears the voice that says, Rise, Peter, kill, and eat. He's looking at all sorts of things. Now, I don't think it was just uncommon food that was on that thing. I think it was mixed up. I think it was mixed in there. I don't think it was just not, not just unkosher food. I think there was kosher food on there, too. I'm not sure. It doesn't say. But in Leviticus 11, the Jews were given specific instructions on what they could eat and what they could not eat. In Peter's vision, he sees all these things coming down here. <laughs> I think it's great that the Lord used food in the vision. Peter is a lot like us. Have you ever noticed that? He seems to have a problem spiritually sometimes. I'm sure you guys never deal with a problem spiritually, but I myself have problems spiritually sometimes. I mean, he wanted to pray, but he got hungry. Remember in the garden, Jesus asked the disciples to say, pray for me one hour, and he goes off and prays. He comes back. What were they doing? Sleeping. I'm sure when you've sat down to pray, you've never fallen asleep. I'm sure you've never started to pray and got tired. you never started to pray and started thinking about the ways of the world and everything that's going on in your life and your, and your list of things to do. I'm sure you've never got distracted when you tried to pray. Peter was distracted. He wanted to pray, but his flesh was weak. His spirit was willing. But God uses this to show Peter something new. He's not changing Peter's diet. He's changing the entire program. He's changing the entire program. He's calling him to a different thing. He's going to say, the Jew is not clean and the Gentile unclean. He's going to say, both Jews and Gentiles are unclean before God. Unclean before God because both the Jews and the Gentile are not in a right standing with God because they have to come to God through Jesus Christ. If you want to get right with God, you've got to come through Jesus Christ, the Son He's going to tell Peter that the Gentiles were no longer to be considered outcasts. They didn't have to become a Jew to be saved. This was God's plan from the foundations of the world. Before the foundations of the world, God said he loved the world so much that he was going to send his only begotten son, that whoever believed in him should not perish but have eternal life. This vision that Peter doesn't understand. Peter's still thinking food. Peter's still thinking with his stomach. The sheet bound in the four corners shows the message of the gospel. God's message going to the north, south, east, and west. It's going to the entire world. Gospel would be available to all. Look at Peter's response. I love Peter's response. But Peter said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. I want to draw your attention to Peter's response as being a perfectly inconsistent statement. Let me repeat that. Peter's response to the Lord is a perfectly inconsistent statement, but one that is way too familiar to all of us. Not so, Lord, impossible. Impossible. Total inconsistency. How can you say, not so, Lord? If Jesus is your Lord and asks you to do something, the only response is, yes, Lord. You cannot say, not so, Lord. You can say, not so, buddy. You can say, not so, friend. you can't say, not so, Lord. You can't say that. It's my prayer that we wouldn't have this inconsistency in our life. It's my prayer that when the Lord calls us to do something, we would say, yes, Lord. Our response would be immediately, yes, Lord, as he calls us to show us the things that he wants to do. But oftentimes, we find ourselves arguing with God when he challenges us to do something. I can't do that. You know I can't do that, Lord. That's beyond my reach. I can't do that. You want me to do what? Not me, Lord. Come on, call somebody else. It's not a lot like Moses standing before the burning bush. I can't do this. But when I speak that way, guess who's in the driver's seat? I am. I've placed myself in the driver's seat. I'm putting myself in the position of Lord. Peter says, not so, Lord. I've never eaten anything that is not kosher. I've never eaten anything that is uncommon, unclean. I love Peter. You know, he had a habit of telling the Lord no. He had a habit of telling the Lord no. In fact, the scripture we looked at, when Jesus gave him the keys of the kingdom, it was because of his statement, thou art the Christ, son of the living God. When Peter said to Jesus, thou art the Christ, son of the living God, Jesus said, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. I'm going to make your name Peter, and here are the keys of the kingdom. And then he proceeds to tell the the disciples that the Son of Man must go to Jerusalem and suffer at the hands of the Pharisees and be this and this be crucified. What does Peter response? Far be it from you, Lord. Not so, Lord. You can't do that. What did Jesus say? Jesus looked at him and said, get behind me, Satan. And we say, not so, Lord. It's our flesh rearing up. It's Satan not wanting to do the, the work of God. You are a sure hope.
0: You've been listening to Pastor Dave on A Sure Hope. Pastor Dave is working his way through the book of Acts. Did you know that the first martyr for Jesus was a great man of faith? His name was Stephen, and he was bold and courageous to proclaim the name of Jesus to others. He wasn't afraid to tell the truth, even when it cost him his life. What courage in the midst of opposition. Do you think you could do the same in this day and age? It's hard to stand up for Jesus when everyone around you is telling you you're intolerant, unloving, and just looking to put people down. If you tell them they're doing something wrong... But what makes things right or wrong is firmly rooted in Scripture. It's God's Word that should direct morality, and Stephen was unafraid to go there. If you liked this message and would like to catch up on any message you may have missed, head over to assurehoperadio.com. There you'll find many messages from the Book of Acts, as well as other series. If you find yourself in the Cape May, New Jersey area, stop in and see us. All the information you need is on our website, location, directions, and service times. And if you prefer to call, you can do that too. Our number is 609-884-5821. Once more, that's 609-884-5821. We'd be happy to answer any questions over the phone. Well, that's all we have time for today. But we've loved spending this time with you. We look forward to the next edition of A Sure Hope.